Welcome to the Reactive Attachment Disorder Parenting Podcast, where we share tools and resources for transforming your rad kid into a family kid. The information and advice given in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for seeing a licensed therapist. If you are involved in a therapy program or under medical care, consult your health care professional before making any changes to your regime or engaging in any exercises mentioned. If you'd like more information on RAD therapy or would like to connect with a RAD therapist, schedule a session or teleconference with me by visiting my website, www.fullcirclefamilycounseling.com. Hi, this is Tracy. In the upcoming podcast episode, you're going to be hearing from one of my respite providers for reactive attachment disorder children. Her name is Karen Adair. And she's located in Asheville, North Carolina. And she is going to talk to you about her experience as a therapeutic respite provider, what that entails, how she got into this work, and why she continues to do this work. So I hope that you enjoy what she has to say. And the take-home message is we all need respite from our children. And that it's important to be able to do that self-care and to be able to find a respite provider that you feel safe and contained with and that you feel like your children are in good hands and that your children are not going to come back to you kind of wishing that they were living with the respite provider and not with you. So it really is a specialty in being able to provide respite for reactive attachment disorder children. And Karen does a a wonderful job at it. She does a wonderful job in explaining what it's all about and how to go about finding the perfect respite provider for yourself. And unfortunately, there are few and far between and not enough respite providers for all the kids out there that need the respite and especially for the parents that need the respite. So if anybody is interested in learning how to become a respite provider, please contact us uh, through our website, fullcirclefamilycounseling.com. There should be no shame in receiving therapeutic respite from your child or to be so exhausted that you need respite or feel like if you threw your child out with the bathwater, it really wouldn't have that much of an impact on on your relationship with the child. So we don't want parents to get to that point of desperation and self-care and receiving therapeutic respite periodically and consistently is also very important. So Hopefully you'll enjoy uh, listening to Karen and what she has to say. And until next time, thank you so much. Well, my name is Karen Adair, and I work as a therapeutic respite provider for adopted children that are struggling with attachment issues, post-traumatic stress, just basic behavior issues in their house. So how did you get into doing that? Um, when I, well, <laughs> kind of just fell on my lap. I had gone through, lived in what we call the trenches with my own adopted children, working through all of their struggles and issues. And when we kind of came to the other side, I had some friends that had adopted children that were kind of reaching out to me for help and begging me, kind of like, could you please do this? And I kind of was a little nervous at first. I thought, no, I just got out of this. I don't want to do this again. I just kind of moved past all this. And then to bring it back in, kind of, you know, I had some triggers and things like that. But then I realized when I was dealing with it, there there was no one. There was not anybody around that could do this for me. There were very, very few people who understood what I was walking in. 
um, understood any of it. They just, I was alone in the world. And so really it, my purpose was to reach out, to be there for the parent. To be yeah. kind of like an understanding person to go, I've been there, I know how hard it is. And it's like a comfort to them to go, yes, thank you, someone understands. Yeah, that's so valuable too for it not to just be like a therapist, but somebody that's like lived it. Like yep. that has I've walked the walk. Made it through the yep. other side. That's still alive. Yes, and I usually tell parents, I'm like, anything that you say to me, I have either done it, said it, or thought about it. So there is no judgment here. I yeah. understand. And for them, it's like, finally like your friends like your good friends are always very they try to get it they really try to be you know be good friends during that season of life but they just don't get it because they usually see the sweet child Mm -hmm. that that we do not live with so (laughs) that's what's hard and then when you finally get someone who gets you it's like a relief for them yeah yeah good so I was interested to know as you are sitting with the kids and rest that they come to you, right? Mm-hmm. So are there any trends that you notice, maybe like two to three things that a lot of the kids have in common and then like maybe a set of struggles that the parents have in common too? Like key things? Um, the majority of kids that come in the door, they all, their number one thing that they're all struggling for is control. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The one thing that I usually do to see where they are is I have them write the first second. Like when they usually come in the door, I have them write just anything. It could be a scripture. It could be just a, a saying. My goal is to have them write it the way I wrote it and copy it exactly the same way. And I'm very clear on my instructions. And so when I get it back from them, I can usually see how, how hard of a week it's going to be with that child. Because they little little things that they do that most people would miss. They'll not dot an eye. They'll not cross a T. They'll leave a period off. And that's all intentional because the reason I know that is because I look at it. And they go, I'm, I'm finished, Miss Karen. And I pick it up and I look at it. And they say, and I say, oh, looks like you need to do that again. I don't tell them what was wrong. I don't show them. I hand it right back, but I watch them. And I watch their eyes go right to the spot. Mm-hmm. So I know that they're trying to see if, I, if I'm strong enough to handle them. And so when I just finally just, they finally submit, then I'm like, yes. So control is, control is always pretty much the same across the board. Every child comes in here, that's the source of attachment disorder, is control. Or the main, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. thing that they do. Yeah. I want to be in control. I don't trust anyone else around me. Um, usually manipulation is massive. A lot of people, these kids, you can spot it. If you're trained in it, you can spot it a mile away when they think you're dumb, but you're not. And I usually ask them, do I look stupid to you? And they say, "Uh, no. I'm like, okay, well, then why are you trying to do this to me? And so really it's control, manipulation, and those are are the biggest things that are like across the board Mm -hmm. that are just... You just expect it. Yeah. It's like you. they come in the door and you expect them to be like that. Yeah. Um, and then what was the... For the parents. Parents. Almost 100% of the time when I finally talk to the mother, they're completely... They're just dying inside. They have been beat down, been the, the, the source of this child's rage for how long till they found someone to understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, sadly, a lot of the parents I talk to are already at the end of their rope they just really don't want to go anymore they 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 have the heart to want the child to heal but it's already gone too far where a lot of times they just can't even do the things that they need to do to help the child at that mm-hmm. point because the it's just it's so bad yeah <laughs> you know yeah. so um that's pretty typical I mean I don't think I've ever met really a super happy mom that is like yeah this is awesome we're just gonna do this like that's not Usually they're just like, I can't take this another day, this child. And there's just a, 
it's the same across the yeah. board. Every parent is the same. And you can usually look at a, a mom that has an adopted child, and I can usually just look at them and tell them that they have a rad child. I can yeah. just by the way they look, because they're wow. just, they're that torn apart yeah. inside. So. Wow. Yep. Wow. So when the kids come for respite, what mm -hmm. does that look like down to like the food they're eating, the activities, like... What is that? Um, look like? It depends on the child. Like if I have a if I have a client who comes in who is just one of the things I should backtrack because one of the things I I don't it's very rare that I would take a child that is not working with a therapist because honestly to me to do therapeutic or motivational respite it's kind of fruitless if they're not working alongside of a therapist. Yeah. Um, I can certainly babysit your child and give you a break, but it's. It, and I can be therapeutic with them, but if they're not getting the outside, kind of working as a team, it's kind of useless. So coming in, so when they come in, one, they need to be working with a therapist. They, when they come in, it depends on the child. So if they're coming in, they're just being super dysfunctional at home, and they're, it, it's, they ha they're coming because they can't be at home. They're just mm -hmm. causing too many problems. Those kids I'm a lot tougher on. Mm -hmm. They come in the door, it's very almost militaristic. I don't want to be a scary person to them, but I need them to know that I'm in charge and I'm in control and they're not going to run me. This is my house and this is how it works. Mm -hmm. So it comes like the second they hit the door, usually they're scared out of their mind because they have no idea where their parents have brought them. If it's a first-time client, their parents will just drive them up, get out the door. By that time, mom is so cut off from the child already. The kid's scared to death. And trying to be tough, and I'll just say, shoes right here, sit at the table, hands on the table, and don't talk, and don't move. And so they're like, oh, okay. So it's very, because it, because I'm talking about the tough kids, the ones that are that you know are coming in, they're going to fight you. I am strong from the second they step in the door. And from that moment on, it's a quick goodbye to mom. Mom leaves, and I sit with the child across from them, and I ask them why they're here. And it just goes from like, they're usually either start crying or they're angry and then I have them write and then from there um, it is very strict it is um, there's the rules are laid out at that point there's no talking unless I speak to you you don't ask me questions unless I ask you you know I need something from you it's really teaching them that they are not running this house because that's what they need they've been doing that already in their own house for too long mm -hmm. um, it's hard for them yes but it from the very beginning that's how it works so the rules are very concrete to them. Um, I normally those hard kids. I have a friend who has a farm. I take the kids out on the farm, and my my rule is my deal with them is you work with me, I work with you. Mm -hmm. So let's just say we're out, we're cleaning the chicken coop. They need to, the, these people like love when I bring respite. I need a respite child. I need my chicken coop cleaned out. <laughs> um, the deal is if you're working with me. When I say working with me, that means if I'm asking you questions about why you're here, what's going on at home, like we're just kind of therapeutically talking. Um, having a little conversation, I'm going to be alongside with you shoveling out the chicken coop. We're going to work together. Yeah. But if you're going to shut me out, I'm going to sit in a chair and you're going to do it alone. That's kind of how that mentality is. And it's very, I'm very, I'm probably not cold, but in a sense I'm very stern with them, almost militaristic. Mm -hmm. And then those kids, I am very bland diet at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It would be the same thing if they're here five days. They're going to eat the same breakfast, the same lunch, the same dinner every single day. And typically, I would just do like a bowl of Cheerios, unless they have like a special diet that they have to follow if they're yeah. gluten-free or all these kids are all different things now. So I will respect that. Yeah. But there, it's very as bland as I can make it, maybe a bowl of Cheerios and a piece of fruit for breakfast. There's never seconds. Uh, water only to drink. Um, you're going to have a peanut butter sandwich for lunch. Um, no, no jelly unless, I mean, that's obviously, it's a different situation. But if you're one of these kids, it's no jelly. 
It, and then you'll have a piece of fruit. You'll have a snack for lunch, which is usually like a string cheese and maybe some crackers. Water only. Dinner, grilled cheese and green beans every single day, every single night. Um, never dessert. Never anything. Never any TV. Never any toys. Never anything like that. You don't bring anything from home. You, no. Yeah. It's very, leave everything at the door. Um, I have all their clothes. I give them what they need to wear. They don't have a choice. Um, some of these kids are 14, 15 years old. Yeah. It's hard for them. Yeah. But they've come from having a room with stuff. Now they have a lady handing them, yeah. here's what you're going to wear today because you can't be trusted to pick out. And that, the whole reason for that is I'm in control. Exactly. If I have them in the room with all their stuff, then there is, there's no difference. So yeah. that's kind of how... The, if that answered your question at all, yeah, I don't know. Okay, yeah, good. It did, it did, it did. That's great. Uh-huh. That's great. So Tracy was telling me that, you know, you work off of, like, referrals. Like, you know, she mm-hmm. referred a couple people to you. So for her, that's a really big advantage because you get to spend so much time with the kids. And mm-hmm. you see the things that she doesn't get to see in the span of, like, I don't know, three hours right. or two hours. So can you just speak a little bit to that, like, having that respite component you know, as a piece of the therapy, in addition to seeing a regular therapist, like the amount of insight that's gained when there's a respite provider and a therapist working together. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's why one of the things is that you need to have a, you need to have a therapist mm-hmm. because on your own, I can't heal your child. Your therapist is really not going to heal your child. It's a, it's a team effort mm-hmm. and it's getting all that information out. So when you have a respite provider, if you have a, let's say your therapist is only having a therapy session for 45 minutes to an hour once a week, maybe even twice a week. A lot of times kids in therapy sessions are, they're shut off. They're not, they don't feel comfortable opening up, but you put them in a house environment with someone in their face 24 seven and controlling everything that they do and, and, and are able to do and limiting all the things that they might've had at home. Um, you just see a lot more yeah. after about day two or three, their guards down, you're starting to see who they really are. You're start- and so what happens is once I get all of that, all that stuff that I'm getting out, I go back to the therapist and say, hey, here's my read. Here's what I see in this child. It gives the therapist a chance to kind of go, oh, yes. And then it gives them an opportunity to kind of work therapy in a different route. Mm-hmm. So like let's say, for example, I have a, a client who discloses something to me that has not been disclosed in therapy. Mm-hmm. I can go back to to Tracy or another therapist and say, hey, this is what the child told me. A lot of times these kids feel more comfortable telling me mm-hmm. than they would the therapist because I'm here all the time, you know? And then now that it's out, the therapist now can start, start working with that. Yeah. So it is extremely beneficial when you can have a team working together, um, you know, all for the same purpose, you know, to help yeah. the child and Definitely. the family. <laughs> yeah, the more, the better. That's the right. The the force. That's true. So another really good sort of question that came to mind was what do parents need to look for in a respite provider? Uh, Tracy and I talked the other week about, you know, why a rad therapist, like what do you need to look for in a rad therapist? Because in a sense, they're not like your traditional therapist. They have a very specific and catered Mm -hmm. sort of program. So if a parent is looking for respite, what do they need to be looking for in a respite provider? Like how do they find a good fit? Well, I think, so as in as in a respite provider, if I'm looking at it from even my, at my own as a personal, as a parent, mm-hmm. I would want to find someone who, one, uh, aligned with the therapist mindset that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. If they're kind of using specific techniques with a child, I want to make sure that they understand those. Yeah. Two, you want to make sure that your respite provider gets, understands 
rat understands attachment disorders, understands dealing with a child with trauma. If you don't have someone that really gets that, it's really not going to be effective because they're going to be manipulated. They're going to, the kids are going to run all over them. It's not going to work. So you look for someone who one understands, even if they've probably the best situation is someone who's lived it. But if they've been trained to understand and to watch for the manipulation and to understand the control and understand the brain of a child with trauma and that comes from trauma, um, you, you can also be effective as well. Um, and then making sure that you're, your beliefs and values kind of align with the family in a sense. Like, if the goal is, like, see, I don't want to do respite for a family who wants to put their child, doesn't want to do the work. Yeah. It's a waste of my time. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have a family who says, yeah, well, I just don't, I don't want to do that, yeah, I don't want to do it. But so your respite provider really needs to kind of align with the therapist, align with the family. Um, they need to understand RAD. They need to be able to identify with the parents. That's the biggest thing. When you're talking as a respite provider to the mom, if she can identify, if she feels that you get where she is yeah. and you're not judging her, yeah. that's huge to the parent. Immediately, they feel at peace with mm-hmm. sending their child to you. And they want to know that you're not going to let their child watch TV and have popcorn and have a big party. They don't, that's the worst thing. Because there's a lot of rest providers who just babysit children. Yeah. And the kids come home and they're worse mm-hmm. because they haven't lived a structured environment. They've been able to do things that they wouldn't be able to do at home. And they just come home and they throw it in the parent's face. Mm-hmm. And that's the worst thing to do. So you want to trust that your provider is being rigid. Um, you want to feel safe with them, first of all. You want to know yeah. that your child is in a, in a, in a safe environment, mm-hmm. um, that they're being fed, that their needs are being met. They're not being just kind of stuck out on a porch somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you just never know. In the doghouse, literally. Right. You just never know. You yeah. have to, and I mean, I've had families sight unseen drive six hours and leave their child with me not knowing anything about me but yeah. what a therapist has told them mm-hmm. go here and that's that's sad because I see the desperate I see how desperate they are yeah. and but I also get that yeah. I also understand being in that position and going I don't even know what to do I just want someone to come get the child off the porch I don't even care like that's yeah. how bad it is yeah. when you're living the chaos mm-hmm. um, so I can identify with that so if you can have a, rad, a rest provider who, who gets all of those things and then assures you that they're going to be working with your child along with the therapist there's mm-hmm. an open communication because I always tell the child and the parent anything your child shares with me I will tell you and the therapist yeah. it's a team I'm not going to keep a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell the child that so they know up front. Anything you tell me, I'm going to tell Miss Tracy or whoever the therapist is. I'm going to make sure mom and dad know. And almost 100% of the time, the child is relieved. Yeah. They want me to be the voice for them mm-hmm. because they're scared. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So what are your thoughts on like the length of respite? I'm sure it depends on a case-by-case basis Mm -hmm. but is there just like an average in general like seems to work really well um I typically because my schedule is different I can't do long-term respite Mm -hmm. um I can't usually do more than a week or a week and a half Mm -hmm. but I feel like some kids would benefit from two to three weeks I think that you don't I think that sometimes I have a lot of local kids who come for four days Mm -hmm. and and for them it's enough to kind of you know kind of rechange their brain a little bit, kind of get them on a different path when they kind of get stuck. We always say the word stuck. Oh, they're stuck. They need to, they're stuck in a space right now. We need to kind of get that on work through that. Um, sometimes three or four days of just hard work and intensive kind of just being in their face Mm -hmm. will work for you. So I don't know if there's really a, a, a perfect length of time. I think it depends on the child 
and what the parents are really wanting. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. definitely. Cool. And so when you're thinking about a rad therapist, sort of what comes to mind, like, as a rad therapist as, a, as opposed to just like a general family therapist? Like what attributes do you recommend or tell your families to look for if they, you, see, you know, they're relocating or they, they mm-hmm. want to find a rad therapist? What do they need to be looking for for um, a rad therapist? To me, the very first and foremost important thing, in my opinion, is that the therapist meets with the parents and the child. That the child is not separated from the mom and dad, telling the therapist whatever they want to tell them, and then mom is like oh that's not even true like that's always a crazy thing to have happen a child can reach a certain point where individual therapy is is productive and good Mm -hmm. but that's only once they've kind of achieved some of the attachment so I always tell parents if the therapist puts you out in the hallway for the therapy session and you're not part of it uh run find someone else if they're not willing to have you sit in there, like sometimes the therapist is like, I need, if they can communicate, hey, I want to just sit with them one-on-one for just one visit and kind of get a feel for them, that's okay. But the majority of the sessions you need to be part of because mm-hmm. the whole point is attachment. Yeah. And so the mom, specifically the mom, which is the target, needs to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also, therapists also need to be trained in, in attachment disorder. They need to understand the trauma. Sometimes the family therapist, I mean, I've had to tell I've had to explain to social workers what reactive attachment disorder is. A lot of people don't have any idea what it actually is. So it is that specialized where someone needs to be trained. They need to understand what the trauma does to the brain. The therapist needs to, um, you know, I even look for the the words, the lingos, understanding um, what other kind of gurus of attachment therapy kind of use, Nancy Mm -hmm. Thomas, you know, Brian Post, all of those people who who live that and, and work in it. That's what I would look for. Mm-hmm. Do you do you know what method do you use? Do you believe in Nancy Thomas's way of thinking? Do you do Karen Purvis? Do you all of these names? If they know those, um, and sometimes the parents don't know. Sometimes an attached a parent's not, they're just clueless. Yeah, they have no idea what they need. But you need to be in the therapy session first and foremost with the child, and um, and that is because the children are just going to lie to the therapist about everything yeah. and make you look bad. So you need to be there to kind of kind of buffer that. And then um, obviously the training, I would want to know their credentials as far as like who would they study under, things like that. So Gotcha. So mm-hmm. when the kids are getting ready to leave here, do you ever talk to the parents and maybe like coach them like three tips, like parents, parent training, like what do you need to be prepared for when you go home? What's the take home for the parent? Okay. Usually for the parent, I warn them, one, the child may act out against them mm-hmm. uh, because and as, almost as a punishment for putting them away for mm-hmm. a while. So I tell parents, be prepared for them to throw things in your face. Truth or not, they may say, I love being at Miss Karen's or Miss Karen gave me this. Or just, I go ahead and tell them up front, be prepared for the child to throw things at you to make you feel angry or frustrated, that's all part of their game. And just smile and go, thanks for letting me know and move on. Don't engage it. Don't, don't discuss it. Just move on. That's one of the first things that I always tell just be prepared for yuck to come at you. And then how to just kind of, how to just kind of smile and wave almost like, okay, great. Thanks for letting me know and move on mm-hmm. and don't engage it. Cause that's just feeding them. Um, and then I usually, usually parents have to, um, well, the kids will come home and they'll also try for a, a few days, mm-hmm. maybe a week, maybe not even that long. 
And I always tell parents, that's the honeymoon. Just don't be, don't, don't, don't let your guard down because that's the one thing they think. Oh, they're they're healed. No, 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 no. They're just trying to to make you feel like that something's happened and that they've changed. But there's it's continuous work. So just kind of be ready. Don't don't assume that everything's all better. Be ready for what's going to come after that. And then really just making sure that they understand, um, you know, just to stay calm. A lot of times parents feed into the kids too much, and I'm like, mm-hmm. just stay calm. If you don't, if they've tried, if you feel like they're trying to hurt you, then just like the whole thing, I just smile and wave. That's what I'd kind of, I do. I just say, just say, thanks for letting me know and just move on. Mm-hmm. And just, so really that's, that's kind of the, the main things that I prepare them for. Just making sure they know and that, Hey, if you have, a, if someone comes up and you have a question about something that they're telling you, call me, we'll talk about it. But I usually do a debriefing with the child and the parent okay. when the mom comes to get them. And I say, let's talk about the week. Let's all sit down and talk about everything that happened mm-hmm. and the the things that went on and I'm also communicating with the parents throughout the time if they want me to some mm-hmm. parents just don't want to know yeah and they need to actually respite themselves and not know but the ones who say no no keep me updated mm-hmm. um, I don't tell them every every little detail but if yeah. there's like a big breakdown or we had a breakthrough in something or I like to, I just send a little quick text and say hey this is what's going on and I usually do a phone call um, within the week with the parents and kind of let them know what's going on as well. And we talk about a lot of things then, things that I'm seeing, things that might be helpful with them when they get home. Um, I mean, I remember being in this journey. That's what I'm saying. Like, I remember living it. And every day I'd go to bed and I think, tomorrow's the day I'm going to get this. Tomorrow's the day I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to get through this day and I'm going to, I'm going to win. And the second I'd walk into the room and see the child that was causing the problem, I'd fail right away. And so, I remember living this. So it's resilience training. It is really tough because you, at the end of the day, you feel like a horrible parent. Yeah. And then you wake up and you go, "Tomorrow's the day. I'm, I'm not gonna let this kid get me. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna win." And then you're failing again. So I remember being there, and so that's that's always helpful on my end to kind of say, "I remember. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Don't let don't let them tear your life up. This is just a child who's been broken." And I always try to get them to look back and try to visualize the child as a baby being wounded mm-hmm. and if you could come somehow kind of identify with that hurt wounded baby it doesn't always make it easy because the child's being hated you while you're trying to love on them um, but sometimes it does I always tell parents go in, in the nighttime when they're sleeping and, and think about trying to live in that moment where there's yeah. oh they're so beautiful and sweet you know yeah. <laughs> when you really do know that when they yeah. wake up it's gonna be on yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. so That's great well thank you so oh you're much. welcome hopefully I answered your questions <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope that you found this podcast useful. To add more tips to your bag, schedule teleconferencing sessions or intensives with me, visit my website, www.fullcirclefamilycounseling.com. This is where you can schedule sessions, access other podcasts, and additional support resources. Please be sure to sign up for our newsletter to receive parenting tips, access to webinars, and exclusive content. And do take a moment to subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. If you have any questions that you would like to answer, feel free to email me at fcfcradpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, much gratitude to the folks at Love & Logic, Nancy Thomas, Daniel Hughes, and many others for teaching throughout the years on reactive attachment disorder. Until we connect again... Remember that you are not alone, find the humor in the chaos, stay consistent in your efforts, and continue to reach out. I am here, healing your heart-to-heart connection, one heart at a time.